The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And David, who do we have here today? Dr. Fred Luskin. Fred, could you introduce yourself for a second for us? Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Fred Luskin. Um, I teach forgiveness and um, glad to be with you both. Fantastic. David and Fred, uh, thanks for joining us here today, folks. Um, so today's purpose in the podcast is how perfectionism impairs our ability to connect with ourselves and even with others. And if David and I have been practicing and helping folks come out of this chronic pain and even trauma issues that people have, we found out that perfectionism actually really inhibits our ability to heal from chronic pain, let alone trauma. So that's today's purpose. So let's start with a quote as often as always here. So um, this one is from Brene Brown. So let me read this slowly. You can't ever do anything brave if you're too worried about what people will think. You can't ever do anything brave if you're too worried about what people will think. Brene Brown. David? So I just want to set things up and uh, a little bit because I, I'm here to learn also myself because perfectionism has probably been the number one thing that's just sort of torched me forever. And we're going to reframe it in several different ways today. But, you know, as a kid, I had an abusive background. And of course, you're never good enough, never good enough. So you're always striving for something better. And perfectionism is sort of not good enough. You're always never perfect. So I want to just remind people the etiology or the genealogy, I call it, of anger. Is you have a circumstance that you blame, and then you're a victim, and then you're angry. So the problem with perfectionism is that nothing's ever perfect. So you're always a victim of less than perfect. So the circumstance is less than perfect, or you're less than perfect. So therefore, you're always a victim of less than perfect. You're always frustrated, and then you're angry. And so you blame whatever it is for imperfection. And so it doesn't stop. Now, it's ironic in medicine, truly, at the deepest part of my level, in my training, I thought perfect, perfectionism was a virtue, that people want you to be perfect, you can't make mistakes. And I also developed something that we'll talk about later called Awake at the Wound of mindfulness-based surgery. It's actually learning psychological flexibility and allowing yourself to be human that actually improves your performance dramatically, both in the operating room and in life. And both Les and Fred have pointed this out that psychological flexibility is sort of the essence of mental health and perfectionism is the opposite of that. So never forget, I was up in front, up in front doing a workshop to surgeons about this whole performance-based model. And I just looked across the room and we talked about perfectionism. And the model is, is if I have a vision of excellence, in other words, I'm here, I wanna go here. These are the steps that I need to take to get there. Okay, that's normal, and it, and it works. Perfectionism, you just sort of beat yourself with a whip. You know, you keep beating yourself, beating yourself, to you keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And unfortunately, in medical school, that's what sort of gets you into medical school. It keeps you competitive. And so we're judged 
by our mentors, we're judged by ourselves, we're judged by our patients. So it's just incredibly reinforced that perfectionism is, is a virtue, is probably the one thing that eventually took me down. And I ended up in severe chronic pain. But I would have to say perfectionism was the one trait that just took me right off the edge. Well, see, uh, we'll get Fred's thought on, on what he thinks perfectionism is. It sounds like he gave a real nice definition, David. And to the audience memory, we can summarize what David said. It's a pattern. Perfectionism can be seen as a personality style, or if you don't like that word, it's a, pers- it, it's a pattern we engage in. And we'll talk more about this after we uh, get Fred's thought on, thoughts on this is, you know, what, what he thinks perfectionism is. David just summarized a pattern that's built with sort of a built-in self-judgment, never being good enough, especially for, um, you know, for others. And that's why this, we'll talk more about that, but it's that constant needing that approval, not, you know, and let me just ask you, uh, the audience, a few questions here about perfectionism to kind of help define it for yourself. Do you ever hear a voice inside of you that you're not good enough? This is just some of the questions I want the audience to reflect on. Here's another question. Is it, is it hard for you to get started on projects? Um, how about this? Um, do you find yourself obsessing about details? Do you sometimes feel like you're not perfect, the way you look, the way you talk? Um, do you find yourself just spending umpteen amount of time just trying to make sure that others will not think bad of you? Now, these are some questions that can answer your definition in your own way, how perfectionism, perfectionism is in your life. Fred, any other uh, thoughts about perfectionism and um, what David just said? I mean, listening, it, it just sounds, perfectionism sounds like the word, wrong word, um, almost like a desperate insecurity mm. that um, you know, there, there's no stable place to rest inside. And, and so you, there's kind of a desperate um, looking for something external or achievement So let's hear Fred's um, thoughts about what perfectionism is. I mean, when I listen to you guys, what what I think of is almost like a desperate insecurity. Mm. um, Like there's no safe place inside to rest. So there's a constant um, looking for validation, looking for achievement, looking for accommodation. But what came to my mind also relating to the work that I do is people's expectations of perfection in others. And, and, and they're almost relentless demanding this, that people behave in the way that they think is right. Mm-hmm. And, and how often they commit interpersonal violence. Um, because their partner, their lover, their friend is not perfect. Yeah. And, and so I don't think it's just an intra-psychic quality. I think it's an interpersonal quality as well. That's a great point. So yeah, I, I, I like separate podcast because this is a deadly thing because we project our views of the world onto other people. And so you're really right. projecting your insecurities onto other people. And then I did read it book recently called Live Wired out of Stanford, looking at the incredible neuroplastic nature of the brain. 
And his point being that the human brain is incredibly programmed by your entire past compared to other mammals. And so everybody's infinitely different, but yet we just get obsessed with trying to make other people the same. But that's a little bit off, off track. I do want to talk about, that, talk about that on a separate podcast because honestly, we are so incredibly different. Why do we keep trying to make other people the same? But Fred, going back to you, so I agree with you, it's an incredible insecurity. Why do we hold up perfectionism as such a virtue? I mean, I know the Toyota ad that says perfect, all sorts of perfect things are held up in front of us. Why is, I mean, honestly, I really thought perfectionism was a virtue, really deep virtue, but it's really an angry energy. Why do you think the world does that? I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was um, human beings do call a lot of their vices virtues because it's so normal and, mm -hmm. and they want to validate their bad behavior. Um, look at alcohol. I mean, it, it kills brain cells. It's, it, you know, they're, they're even reevaluating their research that showed a little bit of wine is good for you because alcohol kills brain cells. But everywhere you go, people drink alcohol. And, and so we, we turn it into like a social thing and a, and a communal thing and a relaxation thing. And, but that's, that's in, a, in a culture that's not working. I mean, I'm not trying to tell everybody to be a teetotaler, but, but the amount of alcohol consumed is not healthy and normal, but we normalize it. Um, Right. Look at blood, look at blood pressure. I mean, they you know for years they've known 120 over 80 is not an optimal blood pressure. It's just the normal blood pressure. So right, I I I wonder if what human beings do is they they take what their like lower common denominator is. And, and try to turn that into something better than it is rather than the hard work or the almost the impossible work of changing a community to make it better. Yeah, that, that is so well said. I think, uh, again, so several points just to summarize is, is this perfectionism is often this needing this approval and, and what you said, especially in between people demanding things, it's become a cultural norm um, and likened to alcohol. It's just sort of, yeah, it's, it's just what we do. And in fact, as you were speaking, um, Fred and David, I, I was recently at a, at a store and the young lady was um, asked me for some information. And when I gave it to her, her response was perfect, perfect. And I thought, oh, how wonderful I'm being perfect. And then she asked me another question and she smiled and she said, perfect. Okay. I said, oh, I've given it to you. Perfect. You're doing a great job. And, and I thought, geez, I felt so good. I got approval from someone behind the counter and I left with the glow. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was just hypnotized. By hypnotized by that cultural fact that someone said I was perfect and I felt so good for a second. And I'm being genuine here because it did feel good because she wore a smile and she told me I was doing something perfect. And it was an unconscious process that I started to gloat a little bit. I'm like, wow, I felt better. I didn't hear the other customer. She didn't say perfect to them. And so, so, so let's let me summarize your summary. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So as you're seeing Fred Bra but of alcohol. So yeah. Fred, you do agree that perfectionism is an angry energy, right? 
I, I think David, I think it's critical. David, I really think it's not so much anger. I think if you talk to someone who's perfectionistic, much like you, like much like me, and I don't know about Fred, but I can tell us this is a lot of my patients are perfectionistic, are highly anxious. Well, but you said what's interesting, Fred mentioned alcohol, because that's what you talked about over and over again is being drunk with anger. That's interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the emotions, but I really think, and David, so let me ask you this question. So perfectionism, in your perfectionism, there is there is there, or maybe a recovery of it, was there an anger or an anxiousness to it? Well, okay, first of all, when you're self-critical all the time, of course, first of all, it's a cognitive distortion of the word should, 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 should. So in general, that word should is a cognitive distortion. So by definition, anger in I mean, perfectionism is a true deep cognitive distortion. There's also, you've heard me talk about self-esteem, which is a nightmare because we have a certain mental construct we make that we try to live up to, but this mental construct is almost impossible to reach. So we're always self-critical. So when you never reach your goals, again, go back to the genealogy of angry, anger, either you're not perfect or the situation is not perfect. You blame yourself for the situation for less than perfect. You're a victim of less than perfect, and you're you use the word frustrated if you want. Yeah. So, so it's so it's a, being self-critical mm-hmm. is not very nice. Being critical of other people is not very nice, and is it it just sucks the joy right out of life. Okay, I I can get that. I think that's very well said. So, how about meet me halfway and I'll raise no, you fifty? No, <laughs> no, no, because uh, Fred's going to referee us here. But on a serious note here, just to, I like what you said seriously. So there is an anger, um, you know, in trauma, uh, there's four types of personality. I'm just going to run through it for everyone. There's the fight, there's the flight, there's the freeze, and there's fawning. Okay, and, so can you say that again more slowly, yeah, Dr. Lafrea? So, yeah, I apologize. It's just Sunday morning early, and Dr. It is. <laughs> already out of bed earlier than he would like to be. Fred, do you forgive us, by the way? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I think that limiting um, perfectionism to just anger um, makes it smaller than it is. Because when one of the things that I thought of when Les was talking about, like how good it felt to be told that he was completely okay, which is, you know, not just you're good, but you're perfect. Right. So I, I do think that there's, a legitimate striving that we have for like approval, social harmony, um, achievement, like that, that not all of the drives are, are only anxiety or anger based. I, I do believe that, that David is entirely right, that there's a should in there and there's a, a kick butt, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to. But alongside of that is a legitimate growth, um, creative, um, relationship-based thing, which says, hey, I, I, have a, I, I have a legitimate piece of me that wants to know that you approve of what I do. And I have a, a desperate, nasty piece of me that needs to know. And but I don't think it's all just that nasty, desperate, because human beings do a lot of good things. Like perfectionism got you to be a doctor, David. It may have gotten me to be what I did. 
So mm-hmm. it's it's more com. I, I what makes it so challenging is in part the complexity. Right. I I think that's really great. So it it sounds like what we've opened up to is this: is it serves a purpose also, and it helps. And I like what Brene Brown says, um, a re- researcher and an author, and quite a f- famous person. I like what she says. She says perfectionism is not about striving. Um, you know. It's, it's perfectionism is really trying to meet everyone else's demands so you can actually be loved and accepted, and uh, which, which ties to what you just said. And that's why, as, as I mentioned, there's, David, so a lot of our patients with chronic pain or chronic medical conditions and trauma, they've been living a life that's been filled with, am I good enough, the storyline. And in that, they tend to present to me as anxiousness. But I think the point that you really hit also, David and Fred, is that underneath that anxiousness is an anger that I can't seem to live up to this. There's the should. So we actually look at it as in a continuum at one end of the spectrum. It could be a variety of emotions, right? It could be a, it as actually does serve a purpose. There could be an anxiousness and there's an anger that's not expressed. And so with that said, we learn to actually develop the sense of perfectionism. And this is, this is my, my, my main point here is as an adaptive survival mechanism in your family dynamics. So I've said a couple of things I've gotten kickback on, not that I haven't got kickback on a few things, but I think that perfectionism is one way to stay in the victim mode because it's powerful. People do not want to give up being a victim. So if you're a perfectionist, you get to be in a victim mode all the time. So that's one reason I think people pick perfectionism as a way of thinking. And the second thing is, it's just, you know, one of my, again, surgeons have a, physicians in general, I think any professional, any, anybody that's highly accomplished has this problem is that it's also, also an ingrained pattern. We're just pushed and pushed and pushed to strive and strive and strive. We don't know any difference. And, and, but the third thing is look what society does to us because they keep telling us that we're not good enough. We're not good enough. By the way, we have something we can sell you to solve the problem. So there's a tremendous marketing mode that keeps reminding us how imperfect we are, whether it's how we dress, our makeup, our hair, our clothes, whatever it is, our weight, whatever it is, society keeps telling us that we're not so perfect. And by the way, we can help you with a product. So I think the idea of remaining in victim mode, I think the idea that we just get programmed that way, but also there's a tremendous societal programming that keeps us in this mindset. And so any thoughts on that? Yeah, Fred, what are your thoughts about that? I, I, do, think, I do think that that chronic victim status is, um, is part of what makes this toxic. Mm. That, that it's one thing to say, have high standards, beat yourself up when you don't make them. But that next step after that of poor me, I'm not understood people, you know, that, that it's, it's unfair. It's never going to happen. That extra piece that leads to victimhood um, is probably the toxic link. I want to really support and, and expand the David's um, expression of victimhood that, that, that there is something just toxic about that when one takes a desire for approval or achievement and, and turns that into an ever-present sense of being stymied 
because it's never enough and that's added to by blame and self-pity, then, then that victimhood becomes a pretty toxic pattern. And, 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 and I've seen it where people become just downright interpersonally destructive because of it, because there's always that undercurrent of anger. So that, that would be my way of aligning with that piece of what David said. Yeah. Here, here's what I like to do here is that, okay, so just to the audience, just remember, I'm one surgeon between two psychologists. So I'm in a very delicate spot here. <laughs> and this, but the good news is they're supposed to listen so I can talk, except I'm trying to flip that paradigm right now and sort of talk about the solutions. I think that we know perfectionism is a problem. It's very ingrained, especially in high-level professionals. But, but all of us have this thing that we're not good enough, we're not good enough. So um, I like to talk about solutions in general. And just to be clear, Dr. Luskin is the author of Forgive for Good. Yeah. Is when that book came into practice, my practice started to change. And the tipping point for healing is always around anger. Every time, every person, you can get better without it, but the true deep healing never occurs. I'll use the word never occurs without deep forgiveness. It just doesn't happen. So Fred and I have done workshops together. And so what I'd like to go into Fred here, and Les has taught me this also about the psychological flexibility. I was determined to never go in the Richter mode. I was really tough. I was, I was starting to be a perfectionist about being perfect. I was, I was just going to be a perfect forgiver. <laughs> so, and it didn't work very well. It worked really badly, in fact. So when I finally realized that I go in the victim role every day, and Fred, I remember almost to the minute we said this at a workshop, that life comes at you. And forgiveness is a process that occurs your entire life. And so I realized that I go in the victim role every day, you know, off and on, and I learn how to process it and let it go and move on, let it go and move on. It changed my life, honestly. And again, let's go into your concept of psychological flexibility. It made a huge difference. When I do my Q&A sessions, I can tell you this perfectionism comes up all the time. It just comes up all the time. So I'm just, I'd like to actually, I'm going to try to listen here. I use the word try. <laughs> I'm going to try to be the perfect listener. <laughs> but I'd like to just hear your, your, both of your concepts on the solutions. How do we actually deal with this issue? So, Dr. Arya, any thoughts sure. this morning? Sure, absolutely. And, and the couple of ways to do is, in fact, there's, you know, multiple ways to do this that people have spoken about 3,000 years ago. And uh, just to let you know that, and to simplify for today's conversation, I use acceptance and commitment therapy. And uh, what is that? It's basically teaches you to be psychologically flexible, learn to get some separation from what shows up. And the word I use is inner critics. And what, what, what that basically means is it's an old message that's so familiar that shows up. And one of the solutions to this is actually becoming aware when you're in that hypnotic trance of those old messages, just being aware to it. And then the other step that we teach in acceptance, commitment therapy and ACT is being able to open up to what shows up. And so this is the part where I've really learned when you can actually listen to why that inner critic is showing up saying is you must, you should, you must, you should and or the story of I'm not good enough. Whenever there's some sort of old messages that underlie, you know, that, that reaction that we're feeling like, why am I not good enough? When you listen to it, it's actually trying to protect us. So I take a very different 
angle that most of my colleagues do not quite see it that way. They see like, you need to fight that inner critic. You need to push them away, get rid of the thoughts. That's nearly impossible. And so different schools of thought in psychology therapy have taught you to kind of replace and get rid. I do not, I welcome the unwelcomed. I try to hear what is the purpose of that inner critic. And the, the simple, the simplicity here is this, it's actually trying to protect us so we don't make the same mistakes over and over again. It's trying to let us say is for you to be loved, don't say that, don't do this. And so it has a real clear agenda. And when I befriend it, I'm able to separate from it and say, thanks for the message. And here's what I wish to do as a person. So there's less self-judgment, less, you know, uh, and more of self-acceptance, more of self-compassion. So psychological flexibility allows us to kind of step out of that trance and actually accept our mistakes and who we are as we are, both the strengths and weaknesses. Fred? I mean, my, my, there are multiple paths that work and, and it's good because we're different people, you know, some therapists are different, clients are different. The, the, these, none of these views are necessarily in opposition. Um, I, I, I think I have a little more like philosophical view on this. And we talked a little bit about the la this last time. We're also vulnerable. And we're also scared of our vulnerability. Yep. And, and, and there's nothing we can do to make ourselves impermeable and invulnerable. So we're all making stuff up to try to protect ourselves from life, from loss, from change, from insufficiency. So perfectionism is one of those strategies where we don't have to look at our essential weakness and vulnerability. And it, it's, it's a dysfunctional strategy, but it's an essential adaptation. The forgiveness piece comes in, again, where you have to grieve. You have to actually feel some of the loss and some of the wounding and some of the sadness that the perfectionism has been covering up, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you grieve it, and then you recognize that in in a world where we're weak at some level and we don't have control, um, we have to make some peace with the fact that we're gonna fail and that we're gonna not achieve and we're gonna get old and things will happen. And, and forgiveness is a, is a stance towards that. Like the way life actually is has to be okay. And yet the perfectionism was our argument with that. Well, if I just do more or better or harder or faster, then these realities will recede, but they don't. So that, that's, that's I don't think I'm disagreeing with less at all. I just think I'm looking at it from a different side. That, that's how I yeah. see it. We're seeing the same thing. Absolutely. I think I love the word vulnerability because that's the essence really is um, that we cannot, just like in love and healing of, of anything within us or between people is that to acknowledge that there's a vulnerability. And that's why I call it self-acceptances. And yeah. I've learned, David, I'm sure you've, you've done this. Uh, we've had this conversation off, offline 
and with our patients that when you can love the good and bad in you, which means that the strengths and weaknesses, you know, I make lots of errors when I'm typing or how I say something. When I make it, when I catch a mistake, there's a voice that shows up and many of my audience, I'm sure knows this, that there's that voice that shows up and that vulnerability, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. Everyone knows I'm fallible in that sense. And in that moment, I chuckle and go like, yeah, that's just who I am. I make mistakes. And that is a beautiful way to feel so safe within your own vulnerability. So I've done a pretty good job listening here, haven't I, Dr. Aria? <laughs> yes, you have. Can, can I say something hey, now? We approve of your listening <laughs> ability, David. All right. That lasted 10 minutes. All right. So here's the deal. This is... Um, I'm going to go back to the moment that my friend and I were giving a performance workshop to surgeons. It's called Awake at the Wound. And I sat there and I realized that patients expect us to be perfect. And the surgeons take on that mantle. We take on that identity of being perfect. And what we found out, again, this is the opposite of psychological flexibility. And what we learn as you learn to be human, okay, I'm a surgeon, but I'm also human, that we started doing mindfulness-based surgery with the word awareness. I'm aware I'm anxious, I'm aware I'm frustrated. Take a deep breath. And then I respond with a different purpose. In other words, we did mindfulness-based surgery connecting to touch, feel, vision. And as we started connecting to feel and touch, all these crazy thoughts went out of our head, our performance went up. So by letting go of this idea of perfect and letting go of the outcome, Paradoxically, our complication rate went down probably 70%. It was unbelievable. So by being psychologically flexible and say, yeah, I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes. Paradoxically, we made way less mistakes. When we get into this pedestal that I'm this perfect surgeon, you end up, it gets distracting. And so you get to connect with life on a really, really interesting basis by actually allowing yourself to be flexible. Absolutely. Anyway, it was very paradoxical, very interesting. Um, you know, David, I, I would say that, that that dance you talk about between a surgeon and a patient, where both are colluding with each other to mm -hmm. deal with their vulnerability. So the surgeon knows that he's just not that expert and there's many things he can't heal. And the patient knows that too, but they collude with each other to not experience directly the vulnerability of surgery. And, and, and so that's normative, but it would be good to call it out so that like the kind of strategies that you and Les talked about, which are far more adaptive ways to deal with our legitimate fears. So I just say one more comment before um, Les brought up a point here. We'll, we'll get to in a second. Is that we talked about this last episode where in nature, there are no rewards for being vulnerable. You simply don't survive. And humans are also animals. And so we have the same in instinct to survive, but we have a language. And so the essence of human relationships is being vulnerable, yet that which involves awareness and vulnerability but awareness and anger can't exist at the same time. So we have a huge human problem that we're animals. We want to survive. We have language, which allows a level of relationships that other mammals don't have. And so the essence of relationships is vulnerability. But the final nail in this coffin is that emotional pain is processed in the brain the same way as physical pain. So we don't want to hurt. We don't like emotional pain. So we stuff it 
We do whatever we can to be tough. And so anger covered up vulnerability. And Fred, you taught a lot about this to me about, you know, vulnerability is the essence of relationships. You can't really forgive unless you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yet from a survival standpoint, there's not a lot of rewards to being vulnerable. It's a tough situation. So I still like to go back to that. These are really deeply embedded patterns. They're survival patterns. As Les pointed out, they're actually gifts that keep us alive and protect us, yet they really interfere with enjoyable, rich human relationships. So Les, you want to go into some, so, okay, before we go jump into Les's comment is that, okay, these are deeply embedded patterns. We're not going to change them. We're not going to fight them. They are there. They're there to protect us. So what we have found out, there's ways of actually reprogramming your brain around these circuits with these different mind-body, what we call somatic practices. So Dr. Ari, would you like to address that a bit? Sure, absolutely. I think there's different schools of thought on this is, you know, one of the things I do with my patients, including myself, is this is when I have this need to be perfect, I find that thought and that emotion in my body first. I tend to make it tangible. And when I can locate, I'll give you an example. Whenever I feel like I need to be perfect, there's a pressure I feel and tension and even a flutter or palpitation I feel in my chest right here. And so with that said, I have my hands placed on my chest right now and it flutters and tightens up. And in that moment, I tend to welcome the unwelcomed and I actually hear it. Like, what is it you want me to know? What are you protecting me from? And then I usually instruct it to saying is, thank you so much for trying to protect me for all these years. Right now I'm home. I got this. That's using a form of what we call um, internal family systems to be able to just gently talk to that psyche, that part of, a, of us called the part or the inner critic. But I wanted to just bring up something here. In our line of work, many of my patients who deem themselves perfectionistic and actually brag about it, that I'm perfect in that sense, when they go through the healing journey of chronic pain or trauma, when they cannot quiet their mind down, and I don't know who can, I just welcome things that show up. When they tell me is I've done the meditation for 20 minutes, I've exercised, and they go down a list of things, and they're very frustrated because they're not able to get better. And that's when I point out to them is that in your healing journey, whenever you are engaged in perfectionistic tendencies, it activates the stress response and inhibits healing. Yeah, no, I'll turn this over to Fred in a second, but you're right. When people, we have some of the biggest blocks to healing and the stuff that I do um, is, is, you know, I call it the DOC journey, which is a directed sequence of things to do. If people just read and read and read, they want to become mm -hmm. the perfect students. They want to become the perfect people in order to heal. Um, uh, I mean, we have sort of a joke, which is not really a joke, that really the answer is just give up, let go. I mean, what the heck? I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, you just let go and let it happen, and people start to heal. Um, Fred, any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I think that the couple of points that Les made are essential, that um, to become aware of my, my own experience and then to befriend myself. Um, that appears to be what it is that we are aiming to teach people as an alternative to the fear-based perfectionism. That, that it, instead of creating a rigid barrier to feeling vulnerable to perfectionism, we are teaching people a more skillful response to become aware of their insides, 
like address whether that that experience is skillful or not thank it for being there release it if needed or um, affirm it if it's good but there's a a, a a befriending that only begins when you can quiet down and actually see your own experience so that that would that would be my summary of what I heard Les say, and I think that is a a really good pathway to an alternative to perfection. Well, for there's one thing I would like to point out, and I'll never forget this moment. Probably I was 20 years old, and my younger brother made a comment of David, stop kicking yourself. Wow. And I'll never forget that moment, but it didn't make a big change for a while. But one of the problems in my journey is on perfectionism is that I couldn't see it. It was such a basis of who I was. I couldn't see it. And I, I don't, I hope, I don't think you have to crash and burn like I did actually to deal with this because uh, that's why I think all three of us do this is that we like to see people not crash and burn. I don't think you have to crash and burn to learn but if you've always been self-critical, it's hard. If that's the way you've always been, it's hard to see its effect on you. And so it's hard to change behaviors you can't see. So um, let's um, summarize this a little bit. We covered a lot of ground and each one of these topics we talked about really is its own topic. So um, I'm just gonna summarize a little, a little bit. My concept is that I think perfectionism is a form of anger. Uh, Fred taught me at the workshops that it happens every day. You just learn how to process your victimhood every day. We talk about the sequence of, you know, less than perfect. You're a victim of less than perfect. You you blame it yourself for the situation. You're frustrated and you're just always in an agitated mode. And so David Burns was a point out, David Burns pointed out in his book, Feeling Good, that the difference between your concept of perfect and who you actually are is your degree of frustration and unhappiness, which I thought was a very profound statement. That statement also changed my life because I honestly thought at the deepest level being perfect was something I needed to strive for. So um, it's just not a very nice thing to do to yourself. It takes joy out of life. It's sort of the opposite of awareness because you're always being self-judgmental where awareness is just actually being open and flexible. And so my thing is that I like to turn this over to lesson Fred to summarize as far as the solutions but for me personally, it was a very deeply embedded pattern that probably was the essence of what took me down the drain of chronic pain. If I had to pick one factor that took me down the drain there was perfectionism. David, I think that's a great summary. And I have three things to say specifically to that as we wrap up this program is it's a hard, these are hard solutions, not easy. And uh, as Fred pointed out, the vulnerability that is really sore for many of us. And to be able to heal, it requires us to be able to touch that vulnerability and to start feel, start to feel safe enough. And so there are three things that I'd like the audience to remember is self-acceptance is a form of self-love. Like this is who I am. I say goofy things. I might accidentally incorrectly type, have a typo. I might not be able to follow through with a deadline. I've learned to embrace that. So self-acceptance is, this is who I am. And um, I try, as Fred said, to strive. However, self-acceptance, try to practice non-judgment. See what would happen if you went a day of criticizing yourself a little less. Just I'm not expecting it to go away, but just a little less. 
And if you criticize yourself, can you say five things that just that that's right with you? There's more right with you than wrong with you, if you actually think about it. And the last thing I wanted to say is this, which is really very difficult. Uh, and I put a YouTube um, a video out recently is that it's self-compassion. Can we have some self-acceptance, non-judgment practices, more of that and self-compassion. And if we can just learn to just really dial that part up, you will see a shift in you. Fred? I mean, I'm, I, I would only highlight that the, 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 the solution is not to condemn perfectionism or not to beat oneself up for being perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. To cultivate practices that allow one to have an alternative response. Beautiful. And, and, and the one last thing I was going to say to you, Les, in terms of approval, that the world now offers an almost unlimited mouth because every time you do a credit card thing, it says mm. approved. So you should just soak that up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, but that doesn't happen with Les's credit cards. Because <laughs> David, did I pay for lunch the other day? <laughs> <laughs> Did the card go through? I don't think, I think it ended up, ended up on my card. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, again, this is a really, really important topic. And I would, I wouldn't have the last word today. I never get the last word. I just would emphasize that we're changed. The way you solve chronic pain is by stimulating neuroplasticity and it's practice practice, practice. It takes repetition to change these behavioral patterns. So you can listen to our podcast, fine. You say, okay, yeah, perfectionism is a problem. And then Fred put out some specific tools. Les put out specific tools. I actually listened today. And it takes practice, practice, practice. Just practice it every day. And then forgive yourself when you fail. And that's for me, it made a huge difference that I am human and I fail at, you know, being, you know, whatever. I, it's just, it's just be nice to yourself but it's practice, practice, practice. You're actually, your brain does physically change structure. So anyway, thank you, everybody. I uh, appreciate this. I learned a lot this morning and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-less at dynamichealingpodcast.com.